Greetings and welcome. This is Frances Harry, your host of Karma Light Conversation, and it is a joy to be with you um, and be talking about the spiritual life. Um, my co-host Mark Danis is not able to be here, unfortunately. Um, ask you to please keep him and his family in your prayers as they are grieving the passing of his mother-in-law, and may she rest in peace. Last week in our series on the Discalced Carmelite Nuns, St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, we spent quite a bit of time on discussing her experience of the dark night of the spirit, as well as introducing St. John of the Cross's secret mystical ladder of divine love. In today's conversation, we will highlight two big problems that St. Teresa Margaret battled with in the dark night and that other people entering phases of deeper purification of the soul may also experience. And these two problems are scrupulosity and aridity. What's it like to be in the midst of these battles? What is the cause of scrupulosity and aridity? What are some good counsels and strategies we can use to overcome these trials? And how does God use these battles to purify and perfect us? And what virtues are most needed? So even if you are just now joining in on this conversation and have missed the other programs in this series, which, by the way, are archived at CarmeliteConversations.com, there's still much that can be learned in this journey from tonight's conversation. So I'm really glad you're tuning in and, and joining us. And we'd like to start with prayer. And I'm going to start with Psalm 51, which is the prayer of repentance. I think it's appropriate to um, begin in this place as we talk about these two uh, battles in aridity and scrupulosity. So let's get recollected. Let us be looking within oneself very clearly to look at the face of Christ within and let us sign ourselves in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. O oh, wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. A pure heart create for me, O oh God, Put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, nor deprive me of your Holy Spirit. O oh, rescue me, God, my helper, and my tongue shall ring out your goodness. O oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's review a few points about the dark night of the spirit. This is the purification of the interior faculties of the soul, of the intellect, the memory, and the will. And let me point out that, that these conversations are geared to those souls who are wanting to make some serious progress in the spiritual journey. Um, they're not for the lightweight of heart. Okay, it's not aimed at beginners because this is at a very heightened stage of spirituality that we're talking about with St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart. Um, she is at the sixth mansion out of seven, if we were to put it in the framework of the interior castle and the seven mansions that St. Teresa of Avila talks about. 
So I'm, I'm going to bring up some points now that are from an article entitled, What St. John of the Cross Can Teach Us Today About Growth in Holiness and Discernment. It's by Father Daniel Channing and Father Joseph Hirsch. You can easily find it online by searching for this title, What St. John of the Cross Can Teach Us Today About Growth in Holiness and Discernment. And I just want to bring out these six points that are near the end of the article um, discussing uh, the dark night of the spirit. Now, this is the more fierce of the two nights. The first night being the dark night of the sense, which is usually around the fourth mansion of the interior castle. This dark night of spirit, the more fierce one, is around the sixth mansion and prepares the soul for this transforming union or spiritual marriage that occurs in the seventh mansion. The first point is that the dark night of the spirit transforms us at the deepest level of our being. It discloses at a profound level our finiteness, contingency, and mortality. The darkness comes from the transcendence of God and the dissimilarity between God and the human person. In the dark night of spirit, however, God recreates the soul and establishes her original capacity for God. Her human way of acting and loving is changed now to a divine way. The second point is the dark night is incarnated in daily life. It's not an esoteric experience in prayer that's unrelated to life. Rather, it involves a combat situated in daily life. Furthermore, the dark night is conditioned by a variety of internal and external circumstances, such as the psychological issues that a person has to work out, or sinful patterns in their life, or circumstances in which they are living. The third point, God's purifying grace works in multiple ways, through temptations, failures, conflictual relationships, physical and mental fragility, illnesses, and loneliness. You know, God can use anything and any circumstance, even sin, to bring us back to himself. You know, if you had read the interior castle, you would notice in the first chapter of the sixth mansion of the interior castle, it lists a lot of these trials. The fourth point, there is a temptation to give up the pursuit of the spiritual life at this point, but don't give up. Please don't give up. It is essential to remain quiet and faithful. The fifth point, we are sustained by the hope and expectation that the purification will lead us to genuine contemplative prayer and I add hopefully union with God and that's if we respond favorably to God's call and the final point consider again the burning log which we talked about last week to show how the fire of the Holy Spirit needs to penetrate to the very core of the soul to purge away the deepest roots of sin and imperfection. So unless the deepest roots are purged, true freedom and healing will not be attained. 
And I'm going to go on now with this one principle that St. John of the Cross teaches, and it's something that we must keep in mind. And here it is. The nearer the soul approaches God, the blacker is the darkness which it feels, and the deeper is the obscurity which comes through its weakness. Just as the nearer a man approaches the sun, the greater are the darkness and the affliction caused him through the great splendor of the sun and through the weakness and the impurity of his eyes. You know, in spite of this blindness and affliction, John of the Cross continues, the soul immediately perceives in itself a true determination and an effectual desire to do nothing which it understands to be an offense to God and to omit nothing that seemed to be for his service. For that dark love cleaves to the soul, causing in it a most watchful care and an inward solicitude concerning that which it must not do for his sake in order to please him. Now, I know that's pretty hefty. <laughs> you might have to replay, <laughs> go back and replay this podcast for that bit. But it, it's good to have it um, from the masters, from St. John the Cross, uh, what this is all about and what is happening. Now, for St. Teresa Margaret Reddy, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, despite there not being any pleasure in the love of God in this period of life, she still only lived for God. Remember, she's feeling very much that she doesn't love God in her pursuit of loving God. She didn't feel like she loved God, but she would still suffer for him. She abandoned herself to him with great courage and trust. She's not acting from her feelings, but with her will. This is monumental. And this, again, is a high degree of spirituality. And that is what we are counseled to do as well, if we should be at this stage of purification. Along with acting with her will, she struggled with a fear of not responding sufficiently to God's love and graces. And, of course, that is one of the infallible signs of a faithful soul. They're concerned about falling back and not uh, fulfilling God's desires for them. You know, this was quite a suffering for one who desired to love God with all her mind and her heart and soul and her strength. Well, St. John the Cross teaches us that those who have the disposition and greater strength to suffer, God purges with greater intensity and more quickly. Remember, you know, saints are the ones who embrace suffering. Now, here again, St. Teresa Margaret is only 19 and a half years old when she's at this stage, and she continues to climb the heights of sanctity. Now, I want to talk about her battle with scrupulosity, and this is more common than people think, this, this battle with scrupulosity. So as I talk about this, I think some of our listeners may identify with some of them. Now, you may be experiencing early stages of this scrupulosity, uh, and I'm going to be discussing a very deep stage of the battle, um, because it was in the midst of the dark night of the spirit where St. Teresa Margaret had intense battles with scrupulosity. Now, my resource for much of this discussion and for this series comes from an excellent book by Margaret Rowe 
called God is Love, St. Teresa Margaret, Her Life, and that's by ICS Publications. So before we get into the details of how Teresa Margaret handled the battle, let's define what scrupulosity is. Because like I said, many people today suffer from this, and I think there's much we can learn from today's conversation. So what exactly is scrupulosity? Scrupulosity may be defined as the habitual state of mind of being overly fearful or overly critical that one has sinned when in actuality no sin has occurred, which leads to an inner torment of feeling guilty. You know, the word scruple comes from the Latin word for pebble. Most people stumble over a large rock, but for the scrupulous, it only takes a pebble to be their stumbling block. Fear or pride is often the source of such scruples. And of course, we know purification can be part of it too. The powers of reason supersede the simplicity of faith, thus catching one in a web of intricate arguments and objections about sin and salvation. You know, scrupulosity is often referred to as the doubting disease. That's a very appropriate name for it, a nickname, the doubting disease. If we are scrupulous, and again, there's many people that have this, this battle, despite, you know, a less legalistic approach to the faith, scrupulous people beat themselves up. But God wants us to take our focus off of ourselves and put it on him. You know, St. Teresa of Avila would always counsel, keep your eyes on Christ. She was very Christocentric in her spirituality. Scrupulosity may affect any age, any background, um, people of all types, and it is a very agonizing state. I bet you there are some people in this listening audience, when you came out of your last confession, or any confession, and you had a penance to do, some of you may have done that penance more than once, you know. Say, for example, your penance was to pray an Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, and you prayed it, and then you thought, oh, geez, I didn't pray that very well. I was distracted while I was praying that. I better pray it again. And so you try it again. <laughs> okay, that's just a little bitty sample. Well, we're, we're going to go into detail what Teresa Margaret suffered. You know, there's an article on understanding and conquering scrupulosity. It's found at catholicspiritualdirection.com, and it says this, A scrupulous person is often not committing sins, but just worries through fear that every bad thought or feeling that comes into them is somehow a sin, even though they didn't want those feelings or thoughts, not realizing that thoughts and feelings that pop into our minds or hearts are not sins of themselves and therefore are not good or bad in that way, but are often just reports from our subconscious trying to tell us something or possibly from just being human or from wounds or traumas in our past. Unless we choose to purposefully dwell on them or act on them with our will, they are not sins. So 
So impure thoughts that come into our mind is an example. Unless we dwell on them or act on them, they are not sinful. So what's important to also understand is that sometimes scrupulosity is a psychological condition. And other times, like in the life of St. Teresa Margaret, the scruples are a part of God's purifying action. A trained spiritual director or confessor can help in this discernment. You know, some saints who have struggled with scrupulosity and whose feast days have been recent um, were St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Alphonsus Liguori. Another one would be um, St. Veronica Giuliani and, of course, St. Teresa Margaret of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In Book 1 of The Dark Night, this would be Chapter 14, St. John of the Cross tells us that souls who are fired with longings for God and who God is preparing to enter into the more oppressive night of the Spirit, in order to reach the divine union of love, this night is ordinarily accompanied by burdensome trials and sensory temptations that last a long time. He addresses three types of spirit they, that may tempt and buffet the soul. And here they are. The spirit of fornication, the spirit of blasphemy, and the spirit of scrupulosity. He also calls it a loathsome spirit or spiritus vertiginous. This last spirit is the one that fills one's heart and mind with a thousand scruples and perplexities, as described by St. John of the Cross, so intricate that such persons can never be content with anything, nor can their judgment receive the support of any counsel or idea. This is one of the most burdensome goads and horrors of this night. And this is Dark Night 1, chapter 14, verse 3. The soul thus chastised and buffeted, the sense and faculties may gradually be exercised, prepared, and inured, which means practiced up, for the union with wisdom that will be granted there. For if a soul is not tempted, tried, and proved through temptations and trials, its sense will not be strengthened in preparation for wisdom. So these battles lead to a good outcome, to this great wisdom of God. We can think of Ecclesiastes chapter 39, verse 9 and 10. He who is not tempted, what does he know? And he who is not tried, what are the things he knows? So for one who wants to grow in the spiritual life, you must realize the battlefield is necessary, but it's also meritorious and is great preparation for bigger wars and greater favors. So I'm, I remember in the sixth mansion there was a subtitle, Greater Trials, Greater Favors. So the soul is tried and humbled in preparation for its coming exaltation and union with God. And this again from John the Cross and Dark Knight. In the measure of the degree of love to which God wishes to raise a soul, he humbles it with greater or less intensity or for a longer or shorter period of time. 
we really can't do anything about that. All that we can do is prepare our soul, be receptive, and try to respond favorably to God's graces and um, fight with, with courage and faith. Of course, call on the saints and ask for God's mercy, right? In Teresa Margaret's battle with scrupulosity, the priest would encourage her and us through her and tell her, even though she would accuse herself of not explaining things properly or doubting that he understood her. How often have we gone to our confessor and said, oh, maybe, maybe you don't understand me. Maybe I, I haven't explained that well. Well, he told her, well, you need to stand firm and ignore these doubts. And this is because he's dealing with her scrupulosity, okay? That's important to, to know. He tells her, insist to yourself, I wish to obey. Hold firmly to holy obedience. Do exactly as I told you, and you will be victorious. He would remind her that imperfections and involuntary faults are found in most holy people. And, you know, it's, it's part of our cross to put up with our human frailty. And then we will have peace. St. Teresa Margaret fights the battles courageously. This conflict is described in detail in the following longer conversation between her and Father Ildefonse, her spiritual director. And I, and I really want to point uh, out this conversation because I, I think it helps us to see what the soul sounds like in this deep battle with scrupulosity and what a confessor would say to her. So there's great counsel for all who suffer scrupulosity. So that's why I want to discuss it. Um, understanding her conversations helps us to appreciate the agony of one who suffers scrupulosity. And it also reminds us how compassionate we should be to those around us who are suffering this battle of scrupulosity. So here's the conversation. Teresa Margaret is telling her spiritual director, I truly do not want to offend God, so that's, that's important to note. Nor can I find that I have done so, and yet I must try to make a complete manifestation of conscience, or else I have no peace, for I cannot rely on my own judgment in these matters. Then again, no sooner have I done this than I become troubled, lest I have deceived you. See, she's afraid of deceiving him in how she explains things. I fear that I color my trials so as to represent them as those agonies suffered by the great saints, whereas, in fact, I am certain that they are the result of my lack of virtue and recollection, not even punishments for great faults and sins, but merely the outcome of my own negligence and failures. So this is what she's sounding like. Here's Father's counsel to her. He says, yet despite the repugnance you tell me you feel in applying yourself to prayer and the spiritual life, you persevere in all these practices. If they give you no pleasure, you must be doing them solely for God. So this is important because some souls will give up. But the soul who is wanting to please God will persevere despite the repugnance. Okay, they will continue to pray. Teresa Margaret says, well, I try to, but all is dark everywhere, and I feel so afraid when I move in any direction. Everything requires an effort of will. 
whether it is spiritual exercise or my duties and ordinary work. And sometimes this effort is almost beyond me. So here she's exercising the will. And I might say and add, she's exercising it to a heroic degree. Because she's saying this effort is almost beyond her, right? Father tells her, you must abandon yourself completely to God. When I think of St. Teresa, little flower, who was so good at this abandonment and trust and confidence in God. Father Ildefonse goes on, you should not be thinking of yourself at all, but of saving souls for him. If God gives you no feeling of love and fervor, offer him that deprivation, despite the feeling of frustration and emptiness. So offer him that deprivation. That's great advice. But most of all, I think you should be careful not to indulge too much in writing letters. It gives you temporary relief to pour out all your anguish. But it's better to forget self than to be over solicitous in probing and dissecting the least motive and movement. Just keep the general direction of doing all things for God and leave the particulars to him. It's not for you to lay down what direction that love shall take or what form it will assume. If it's all sweetness and light, well then there's no suffering. For consciousness of his nearness always upholds one and takes all the bitterness from any burden. But when one follows him to Calvary, it is a different matter altogether. The essence of Holocaust, and you yourself use that term, is that it must be entirely consumed by fire. And that is not a pleasant operation. Well, on that note, on thinking of Calvary and this kind of suffering and the counsel that Father Ildefonse is giving Teresa Margaret about these fierce battles with scrupulosity. We're going to take a break so you can mull that over. And then we're going to come back to this conversation and give you some more helpful tips. So we'll take a break right now and we'll be right back. Thank you. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're talking about the discast Carmelite nun, St. Teresa Margaret Reddy of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. She is at a high degree of uh, the spiritual life. Um, she's fighting a battle, a fierce battle with scrupulosity. And we're trying to learn from her um, what we can do when we have problems with scrupulosity. So her spiritual director was basically telling her, you know, that this wasn't going to be a pleasant experience because the essence of a holocaust is that it must be consumed by the fire. Now the fire here in which we're speaking of in the dark night of the spirit is the Holy Spirit that comes and purifies the soul so that it makes it um, uh, open to be in union with the Lord. So Teresa Margaret is saying no, no, I don't withdraw what I promised then because she promised to be a victim of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. She says, I, I desire to be a victim of love, of his Sacred Heart. I do not fear suffering, but I cannot understand the contradictions within me. The very violence of these opposing desires which tear me apart. I long to give myself entirely to him, and yet there is this timorousness which makes me so faint-hearted. I know some people in the listening audience can relate to that, the paradox, the contradictions within us as we 
uh, try to, to grow in our love for God and neighbor and the, the kind of sufferings that occur in, in this great uh, battle within. So, um, you know, temptations, uh, they go against everything that leads you closer to God. And so uh, we must fight, though, and it is a battle. Father Ildefonse tells Teresa Margaret, do not expect to see the handiwork of God. And so many people do. They think if they can't see God's hand that he's not working. That's just not true. He said, do not expect to see the handiwork of God, whether it is in your own soul or anywhere else. Love means union. And God will draw you into the union you desire in his own fashion and time, provided you do nothing to oppose his action. But love not only transforms, it consumes. It burns away not only the rust, rust and dross of our imperfections, but consumes us utterly. Remember the words of scripture. The Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Well, let the fire attack you, consume you utterly. To yourself, all that appears is the smoke, the acrid fumes, the charred and blackened wood, and not the single glowing coal that burns within. And that's a reference to the analogy that John of the Cross uses of the log on the fire and how it's being purified and, and it um, burns and then becomes a glowing ember. Okay, where it becomes one with the flame. Well, Teresa Margaret responds to him, Well, I fear that ignoring all these imperfections might be a form of complacency. And Father tells her, That is nothing but a scruple. Ignore it. And she says, Well, yes, I, I do that. I seek God's pardon. I tell him of my longing to be entirely his and renew my resolution to suffer in silence. But I fall so often that I fear I have sinned gravely. And if only I could be certain that this is not so, I think I would not grow so fearful and disturbed. Just remember, there's no certainty here. You must work with a purified faith. Father Ildefonse tells her certainty is something you must not expect while God holds you in this painful state. Close your eyes like a child and throw yourself upon his mercy. Oh, that is huge. Close your eyes like a child and throw yourself upon his mercy with boundless faith and hope in his goodness and willingness to aid you, of which you have had so much experience in the past. Always remember that God is infinitely more loving and merciful than you are weak and sinful. Try to preserve peace of mind, whatever the turmoil in your emotions or the rebellions of sensitive nature, and he will give you the victory. I promise that. Indeed, I would go so far as to say that never has your adherence to God been as complete or perfect as now, when you feel no fervor or delight, because you are obliged to cling to him with your will and not because of any joy in his consolations. So clinging in a dark faith. You know, there's so much counsel given to us in this conversation. Let me just say the, the high points here. One, hold firmly to holy obedience. Two, 
Persevere in applying yourself to prayer and the spiritual life, so don't give up. Three, do everything solely for God. Four, abandon yourself to God. Five, offer God the deprivation of good feelings of love and fervor. Six, forget self. Don't be overly introspective. Seven, don't expect to see God's hand, how he's working. Eight, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Nine, preserve peace of mind. And ten, cling to God in faith with your will. So there's a lot there. Well, I have to bring up how St. John of the Cross addresses scrupulosity and he does this in a letter that he wrote to a discalced Carmelite nun. For those of you who have the complete works of St. John of the Cross, um, the ICS publications, this is letter number 20. John of the Cross writes, If you would put an end to your scruples, I think it would be better for your quietude of soul not conf to confess during these days. But when you do confess, you should do so in this manner. So if, if you are a scrupulous soul, here's some great counsel for you. In regard to thoughts and imaginings, whether they concern judgments or other inordinate objects or representations or other motions that occur without being desired or accepted or deliberately adverted to, do not confess them or pay attention to them or worry about them. It is better to forget them no matter how much they afflict the soul. At most, you can mention, in general, any omission or remissness as regards the purity and perfection you ought to have in the interior faculties of the memory, intellect, and will. In regards to words, confess any want of caution in speaking with truthfulness and rectitude out of necessity and with purity of intention. In regard to deeds, Confess any lack of the proper and only motive, God alone, without any other concern. By such a confession, you can be content and need not tell any other particular thing, however much it may battle against you. Now remember, he's talking to someone who's battling scrupulosity, okay? Receive communion on Pentecost in addition to those days on which you usually receive. When something distasteful or unpleasant comes your way, remember Christ crucified and be silent. Live in faith and hope, even though you are in darkness, because it is in these darknesses that God protects the soul. Cast your care on God, for he watches over you and will not forget you. And I'm speaking to you in the audience, yes, God watches over you and will not forget you. Do not think that he will leave you alone. That would be an affront to him. And finally, John the Cross says, Read, pray, rejoice in God, both your good and your salvation. May he grant you this good and this salvation and conserve it all until the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. So when we're dealing with our conscience, our goal here is, to have balance in moderation. You're not overly lax and you're not overly scrupulous. We gotta be like Goldilocks, just right. You know, you might benefit from hearing the 10 commandments of scrupulosity. I found this and I thought, 
Well, you know, this this could be helpful information. So you can um, you can find it online. The Ten Commandments of Scrupulosity are by Father Don Miller. And I found this at rcspiritualdirection.com. You know, if you do not specifically struggle with scrupulosity, this advice is not likely to apply to you. But it will sure help you understand others around you that may have it. Um, if you have any questions about the advice or overcoming the struggle of scrupulosity, very important. You, you need to meet and talk it over with a spiritual director or a confessor so that you can have some guidance. So here's the first commandment. You shall not repeat a sin in confession when it has been confessed in a previous confession, even when there is a doubt that it was confessed or a doubt that it was confessed in a sufficiently adequate and complete way. Two, you shall not confess doubtful sins in confession, but only sins that are clear and certain. Again, the, these points are all directed towards someone who is suffering scrupulosity. So we're not talking to the general person on a general confessional. Number three, you shall not repeat your penance after confession or any of the words of your penance because you feel or think that you had distractions or may not have said the words properly. Yes, <laughs> that one is a problem for some people. Four, you shall not worry about breaking your fast before receiving communion unless you actually put food and drink in your mouth and swallow it in the same way that a person does when eating a meal. Five, you shall not hesitate to look at any crucifix or any statue in church or at home or anywhere else because you may get bad thoughts in your mind and imagination. If such thoughts occur, they carry no sin whatever. So as long as you don't entertain them and dwell on them or act on them. Six, you shall not consider yourself guilty of bad thoughts, desires, or feelings unless you can honestly swear before the all-truthful God that you remember clearly and certainly consenting to them. Seven, you shall not disobey your confessor when he tells you never to make another general confession of past sins already confessed. Eight, you shall believe and act accordingly so that whenever you are in doubt as to whether or not you're obliged to do or not do something, you can take it for certain that you are not obligated. The ninth commandment for the scrupulous, scrupulous person, if before you perform or admit an act, you are doubtful whether or not it is sinful for you, you shall assume as certain that it is not sinful and shall proceed to act without any dread of sin whatsoever. And finally, you shall put your total trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that he loves you as only God can love and that he will never allow you to lose your soul. So that's the Ten Commandments of Scrupulosity put together by Father Don Miller. There's also a newsletter called Scrupulous Anonymous. And it's put out by the Redemptorist. Um, I found this at mission.ligori.org slash newsletters slash scrupanon.htm a newsletter called scrupulous anonymous so if you're struggling with scrupulosity and i remember reading about saint therese of Lisieux, the little flower she struggled with scruples at a very young age so you can be you know 10 11 12 and have this problem um anyway there's a newsletter that can help so so look for that and I also found this resource, Understanding Scrupulosity. It's a book um, subtitled Questions, Helps, and Encouragement by 
Father Thomas M. Santa. Understanding scrupulosity. Questions, helps, and encouragement. It is chock full, and it approaches uh, scrupulosity from so many different aspects, some that I'd never heard of before. And so if you are suffering or know somebody that is suffering from scrupulosity, you can turn to those resources. Now I'm going to begin another area that St. Teresa Margaret battled. I don't think we're going to finish it today. However, I'm going to begin it because um, I think it will get us uh, thinking about this problem of aridity. Now, it often is the case that someone who is in the third or fourth mansion of the entire castle, that they suffer some aridity in prayer. That means there's no consolation, there's no lights, it's pretty dry. Um, and they go to prayer and they feel like they're wasting their time. Okay, with Teresa Margaret, we're talking about aridity that is a much deeper level than that at the fourth mansion. She's, she's at the sixth mansion, you know, ready to go into the seventh mansion. And they don't really say exactly um, when she went into the seventh. At least I haven't, haven't seen that yet. Anyway, uh, what is aridity? Well, in spiritual theology, Aridity is the term used to designate experiences of prayer that carry no emotional warmth or affection. Dryness or spiritual aridity as pertaining to the spiritual life may be caused by these four things, okay? What's the cause of aridity? One, it can be from the devil who strives with satanic vigor to make us become negligent to lead us away from the path of perfection and plunge us into the vanities of the world. Because, of course, the devil doesn't want us to pray. He wants us to give up. He wants us to not pursue this path of uh, growing in the spiritual life. The second cause could be from ourselves. Um, through our own thoughts, our negligences, our earthly attachments, um, even due to poor health, sickness, suffering, Sins, if we relapse and we have a big fall, that may be a cause. You have to look at yourself to understand whether those um, may be the cause. A third cause may be from divine grace, which God infuses into our soul in the Holy Spirit, not only to wean us away from all that is not of God or tending toward God, but also that we may learn from experience that all things come from God. Other reasons for such spiritual aridity are to teach us to esteem God's gifts more highly in the future so we don't take them for granted, to show more humility and care in preserving these gifts, and to unite us more closely to His Divine Majesty by an entire renunciation of self, complete to the exclusion of spiritual comforts, because if our affections are centered on spiritual consolation, that heart which our Lord would keep holy for himself is divided. You know, we, we don't want to go after the consolations of God. We want to go after God, the God of consolations. Now, the last cause of dryness or spiritual aridity um, may be the joy that God derives from seeing us 
fight. <laughs> he may be giving us a battle purposely because he wants to see us fight with all of our strength, utilizing all his grace uh, for the best effect. And this is what it seems applies to the life of St. Teresa Margaret at this stage of the dark night of the spirit. In fact, um, both for her battle of aridity as well as the battle she had with scrupulosity. So, you know, when we're in the thick of, of the battle, um, it is meritorious, but it's also strengthening. It's also purifying. And so it's an opportunity to grow. And, you know, it's growing pains, right? It's not usually growing joys in this sense. All right? So... Frequently, early in the spiritual journey, like mansions 1 through 3, one makes the mistake of judging the value of the prayer by how good it felt or how many consolations and lights were, were given, like, you know, feel-good vibes, um, joy, happiness, um, even uh, senses of being touched, uh, you know, another common mistake is to think that one has prayed better because one has prayed more. You know, like, you know, quantity over quality. Well, that's not true. The quality is most important, not the quantity. You know, we could spend a great deal of time discussing this, um, and this will make for uh, another conversation, right? Uh, but we're going to move on for now. I just have a few minutes, so I, I just want to... Uh, introduce a little bit more about this aridity. Um, Father Eugene Boylan, in the book Difficulties in Mental Prayer, reminds us in all these cases where one is helpless, incurably distracted, paralyzed by dryness, completely unable to get in touch with God, apparently quite indifferent to all things of God, even at times filled with distaste for them. St. Teresa Margaret Reddy used the word repugnance. Or beset with stupidity, vacancy of mind, and even temptations. In all such cases, Father Eugene Boylan says, one has to fall back on a dry act of faith in God, in his presence, in his power, in his goodness, in his knowledge, in his infinite mercy, and in his fatherly love. This state of prayer consists not so much in one long uninterrupted act as in a habitual permanent disposition to avoid whatever displeases God and to perform whatever pleases him. So, um, so it's, we want a habitual disposition to please God. Now, St. Teresa Margaret greatly struggled in this desert of spiritual aridity. Um, she felt like she didn't love God at all, and that was her biggest goal. Their biggest yearning was to love him with all of her mind and heart and strength. So the consolations and feelings of fervor in her devotions had totally dried up. She even felt abandoned by God and detached from everyone. It's like hanging on the cross in midair, suspended, just dangling. There's the time, this, this is the time for the soul to cast itself confidently 
with great abandon into the merciful arms of God, and this to a heroic degree at the, in, in the dark night of spirit, as opposed to earlier in the dark night of sense. So, confidently cast your soul with great abandon into the merciful arms of God, with heroic faith, hope, and love. And although her soul is starving in dryness, distaste, and weariness, the thirst for God increases. And the peace in the depths of her soul is going to carry her through, helping her to persevere in loving, even in spite of this darkness and blindness. She's trusting that behind all these clouds, that God is there loving her. You know, I'm thinking of that cloud of unknowing. Uh, that book uh, talks about this. But, you know, this degree of abandonment requires great courage and trust. So Teresa Margaret would continue to pray, but her prayers had no immersion, emotion or fervor. And she even felt repugnance in doing uh, the performance of her religious duties Although outwardly, none of the other nuns saw any difference in her. And they did not know what was going on interiorly with her. So, to love and yet experience no consolation of love was a great spiritual martyrdom. Well, we are coming to the end of our And so, um, we're going to pick up next week um, talking about this aridity. But we're also going to go into some other areas. Uh, hopefully we'll get into the final days and the miraculous events that occurred at the end of St. Teresa Margaret Reddy's uh, life. And meanwhile, I really hope and pray that, that these suggestions on scrupulosity and aridity are helping you. And I will have more next week, so I hope you'll tune back in next week same time same place where we will pick up this conversation and so let us um, at this time close with this prayer uh, from psalm 69 this is david's cry and let us sign ourselves in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen save me lord for the waters have come in even unto my soul i am stuck in the mire of the deep and there is nowhere to stand. I have come unto the depth of the sea, and the tempest has overwhelmed me. I have labored in crying out. My throat has become hoarse. My eyes have failed while I hope in my God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So thank you for joining me on Carmelite Conversations. I know this was a pretty deep conversation, but hopefully uh, it has been helpful. And if you have not suffered uh, from aridity or scrupulosity, uh, you're going to be armed with some battle plans so that if you do pass through those uh, battles, that you will uh, have some idea of, of how to address them. And of course, uh, your spiritual director or confessor is there also to help you through them. Meanwhile, if you go through that, just never, never, never give up praying. We all need to pray. We all need to pursue this call to holiness. God is calling all of us. And the more we grow, the better this world will be. So I thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, God bless you.